Soccer Show and a show that may help you cast aside any feelings you have about the international break, good or otherwise. The domestic game is back, baby, and so is the Champions League. Yes, it barely seems a minute since Pep Guardiola guardiola his way through the 2021 final, but here we are at the precipice of another one. And we're going to preview it right here, right now. My name is Ryan Bailey, and joining me to chat Champions League is the man who is the first one to go for for facts on Shakhtar Donetsk and many others, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Uh, yes to Shakhtar, I guess. Less so to a few other clubs. I did spend a ton of time trying to figure out what Moldova is. I kept reading Breakaway Republic. I, I went down a, a rabbit hole on Moldova. But aside from that, I feel like I'm pretty ready to talk Champions League. In uh, in my research, Taylor, I got worried that I was com- I thought Doctor Doom lived in Moldova, but then I realised that was Latveria. <laughs> yeah, of course, um, and New Latveria. Wait, New Latveria might be the one he founds later on. Uh, I am a nerd. Yes, he does not. Uh, but Moldova is in fact a Republic of Moldova. Uh, but again, Breakaway Republic. You had me at Breakaway. I'm all in on that one. Ah, and indeed the home of Sheriff Tiraspol, mm-hmm. who are in this one. Their crest is a Sheriff's badge. It's their first ever time in this Champions League. They played eight qualifying games, Taylor, to get wow. to this tournament. The first one was on July 7th when we were engaged in other things Euro 2020-wise, Whoa. I believe. I thought I was doing the, the frantic research to figure out when Young Boys started, because they started July 21st, and I assumed that was the earliest possible start. You have outdone me, Mr. Ryan Bailey. That is ridiculous that they have already played that many games but maybe that just means they're a a battle-hardened weathered team that will go very far in the champions league for sure that's what that means indeed and we'll maybe find out who's going to shoot the sheriff or otherwise later Mm -hmm. in this podcast but also here is a man who is desperate for a forum to present his thoughts on sergio conceitas tactics he now has it it's joe lowry (laughs) Oh, Ryan, what a throwback, right? I feel like that in some of these Champions League shows that we got to do last year is when we all kind of started to bond on air. I mean, you and Taylor have been doing stuff, but at least it's when I got to start uh, talking some Sergio Conceição. I have his name in my notes and some thoughts on Porto in my notes. It's like you read my mind. I like to think I did read your mind, uh, Joe. My my funnest fact about Porto this season is that they have double Pepe. They got another Pepe, a left winger from Gremio <laughs> called Pepe. They have Pepe and Pepe. Ah, <laughs> oh, it doesn't get better than that, guys. Come on now. <laughs> I don't think so. I'm looking forward to talking about them and many, many others. Uh, by the way, listener Graham is not here. He's been on vacation, so like a Brazilian Premier League player, we banned him from appearing on this pod yeah. for a little while. Uh, also, it's his birthday today, and I have yeah. to share, listener. Um, we, we wished him, or Joe specifically wished him happy birthday on our TSS WhatsApp chat. Uh, <laughs> Joe's exact words were "Happy birthday." Graham's reply: "If you say so." <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just like. The, I don't know what the birthday equivalent of Bah Humbug is, but it's that. It's that. It is that, of course. <laughs> oh. Oh, well, happy birthday, Graham. We love you very much, and we're looking forward to having you join us again next oh, week Graham. when you're back from your vacay. I really do just picture, like, the birth of his first child and him just sitting there like, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> like, it's just, just always very, very low-key, which I think he just saves his high energy for when Scotland do anything exciting. He just briefly pauses the Hibernian game he's watching to go and check out what's happening with the birth of his child before returning to his 14th game of the day. Yes, I think that's how it went down. Oh, oh Graham. We love you very much, as we say, we Graham, and we're looking forward to you returning, and we hope you had a wonderful birthday. But for now, James, why don't we talk about the Champions League? Uh, European Cup is in its 67th season, and it's the 30th since the rebrand as the Champions League. 30 years old, just like Graham Rutherford. Ooh, isn't that special? 
Um, <laughs> this, wow, this is Graham a- and the Champions League, born on the born on the same year. They were indeed. They were indeed. Mm. This one is the first Champions League to start after the uh, European Super League. 48 hours, all of that that came around. So uh, several clubs will be coming back with their tails between their legs to this competition, lest we forget. Uh, big change to this one, gents. No away goals this time around. They scrapped that rule in June. Extra time and penalties, the only tiebreakers now. All else, I think, rules-wise, is the same. How do we feel about that? I am very happy about away goals rule being scrapped. Joe, agree? Yes? Um, I, I'm having a hard time really becoming passionate about either side of this particular issue. So, Ryan, if you're happy with no away goals, then I'm happy with no away goals. No, but honestly, though, there are, there are advantages to it being gone. It, it can make this process simpler. It certainly makes it simpler to explain to people that aren't soccer fans, which I do appreciate. But, yeah, like I say, I don't, I don't have a strong preference one way or the other. Yeah, it's weird when you explain it to a non-soccer fan. Then they they say, "So a team can be eliminated without losing in the competition." Yeah. That's my main <laughs> my main bugbear with it. Taylor, how do you feel? Uh, I was surprised to see from the articles I read, a lot of people seem pretty frustrated that it's gone, and maybe it's one of those things where you don't realize that it is actually useful until the situation arises when it would have been in in place, and since it no longer is, things are different. But I'm I'm pretty excited about it. I think it it just it can be so frustrating when things are going one way and then one goal happens and suddenly the entire fixture is thrown into chaos. I don't always love that because I think sometimes it can give unfair advantages, especially once you go into extra time if it's tied, because then away goals still counting means that like it can totally throw off a tie. And I think we've seen it in Major League Soccer that getting rid of the away goals rule makes the games, in my opinion, more exciting and more end-to-end because you can sort of learn from the first game experiment a little bit or like try to kind of fine-tune from what worked or what didn't work to then have an even stronger second game and I feel like it it, it oftentimes sets a stage for a more captivating overall fixture versus we're going to be really defensive and try to keep it a clean sheet at home and then we'll do the exact same thing but be on the counter away and we'll get that away goal and that's kind of all that matters it changes the thinking I think of a lot of teams and the calculations that teams will will do to try to get through and I think it adds an interesting wrinkle to a tournament that doesn't always have interesting wrinkles. So for that and many other reasons, I am into it, but reserve the right to then say, yeah, never mind, I was wrong. Let's go back to away goals if things go catastrophically wrong. Interesting wrinkles, just like Richard Gere's face, Taylor. Indeed. Handsome interesting wrinkles at that. (laughs) In uh, in another note of business for the Champions League, uh, the final this year going, or this season, I should say, is going to be in St. Petersburg, which is interesting because there are two Ukrainian teams in this tournament. In the unlikely event that Dynamo Kiev or Shakhtar Donetsk make it all the way, they'll be playing over there in St. Petersburg, which will be interesting if that occurs. As I say, a little unlikely that those teams will go all the way. Maybe we'll talk a little later about who we think will go all the way. But for now, gentlemen, why don't we start going through the groups? And logically speaking, we should start with Group A. Manchester City, Paris Saint-Germain, RB Leipzig, and Club Brugge. Bruges? How do we go with that these days? <laughs> I don't know. I was trying to be native with all the uh, pronunciations and I failed. I think, is this, is this Taylor the biggest box office group here? We've got a rematch of last season's semi-final with City and PSG yeah. here. We've got RB Leipzig, obviously um, ra- rather good in the Bundesliga as well. Mm-hmm. 
is this the one you're most looking forward to, arguably, out of these groups? I think in terms of the numbers that people will get for talking about this group, yes, uh, I'm looking forward to that. But that aside, I think we do have a ton <laughs> of Our really... numbers? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I think City versus PSG, Messi versus Pep is, is going to have some listeners, is going to have some eyes on that game. But I think... Like, it's going to be so overblown, that matchup, and then even Leipzig coming into it, and there will probably be articles and think pieces written about the ownership structures of three of the four clubs in this group. Um, But I think, like, just because City and PSG have such dominance, Leipzig seem to be in a semi-rebuilding phase, and Bruges are not going to be knocking out City or PSG, at least not in the group stage. So I I think it's a really captivating one but it is not the group that i think is the most interesting the one that i think could go any direction and i will be uh, most paying attention to joseph what intrigues you most about group a is it the man city paris Saint-Germain angle well, we've got some we've got some american angles in this group yeah we too. do yeah i love both of those angles and unlike taylor this is the group that i'm most excited for i think the matchups that are presented to us are phenomenal I'm really looking forward to PSG Man City on September 28th. That's the first matchup between them. I'm excited to read the think pieces about the different ownership styles. I'm excited to read about the tactics and to watch these games. I think that is going to be a fantastic clash. And then, yeah, the Jesse Marsh angle as well. He's back in the Champions League. He's never made it out of the group stage before in the two times he's been in it in the past with RB Salzburg. That's almost certainly not going to change this year either, which is unfortunate because he's had a rough start in the Bundesliga, even though it's very early on in the league but I'm looking forward to watching how does he set up his team against these juggernauts how where do they find points how do they find points and then getting a chance to watch Tyler Adams uh, obviously a big American angle Sobastai is a player that I think we all fell in love with a bit earlier this season there's so much talent on that Leipzig team and they do have the quality to go and, and get a result against Man City or against PSG it's going to be really hard but sometimes that's what makes it fun well, do they have the quality, Joe? Having, noting the players they've lost mm-hmm. uh, in this, Mercado's gone, Cunyate's gone, Marcel Sabitz has gone. Are they still what they were? Uh, maybe not quite, but they they made some nice additions over the offseason, getting Andre Silva in from uh, Frankfurt, I believe. Big addition. We haven't really seen that fully pay off yet. Getting Sobasai back healthy is huge. So, th- so they've had additions in addition to the subtractions that they've had in, in some different spots, yes. But they have the talent to get a win against a PSG or a Man City. They won't be favored in any, in any of those games, and I'm probably not betting on Leipzig in any of those games. But can they? Absolutely. Yeah, I feel I feel about ten percent better about Leipzig's like prospects for the season after they signed Elish from Barcelona, like which is an odd thing to say about an eighteen year old who, uh, like we don't still know how good he is. Is he the proven entity? But he is six foot one for that age. Uh, has proven that he can play for Barcelona, in my opinion. So for him to go to Leipzig, I think gives them a weapon they needed and just more depth uh, for a long season. So I think Le- Leipzig is a very interesting story. And Joe, to your point, we've got Jesse Marsh, we've got Tyler Adams, but then we also have Zach Steffen at City if he gets minutes. Owen Otisoe at Bruges, the same thing. So there's four different Americans with interests uh, in this group. And that is definitely a reason that I hadn't really fully considered when it comes to why we should care all the more about them. But we can make all the arguments we want. I mean, it's going to be City PSG, right? Like, that is going to be the the thing that people are most hyped to watch, most hyped to talk about, most hyped to break down and analyze the ramifications of whatever happens. So on that note, Taylor, Pep Guardiola, I believe, has two years left on his contract. How many more shots at this thing do you think he takes with Manchester City? He's come agonizingly close, as we know. 
the rumours or the, 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 the consensus is that he'll go off and maybe manage Spain after this. So how many more roles of the dice does he get, I suppose, is the question. And if he, yeah. you know, if he can get past PSG in the group stage, that sets you up pretty well for going forward, does it not? It does. It definitely sets you up and is the like the narrative that you want to be able to build on. And obviously, that's from like my perspective, the narrative. For their perspective, it would be that if you're getting past PSG with the talent they have, it, it probably is a very nice thing early in the season to say, with all that talent with everyone they bought and brought in, we, not bringing in Harry Kane, not bringing in Ronaldo... We're able to get by them and I think will cause problems to PSG now. I think if these two teams met down the road, if they met in the knockout round, which obviously can't happen, at least in the, in the initial knockout round, it would be a different entity. Because by that point, theoretically, if everyone is still there, Pochettino has found a way to make things work. He's got Messi and Neymar and all the other talent they're playing together. And then it would be that sort of two titans back and forth. And it may well be that in this group stage, but I think early on early season city have more consistency have been together longer psg will be figuring some things out and this could be pretty cagey it could also be pretty wide open as basically psg go for the like just put all the town on the field and let's see what happens i'm doing a disservice to mauricio pochettino but i think there's just there's so many ways that first game could go that i think it makes it that much more interesting Indeed. One final question from me on this group. Joe, I know you love my prediction questions so much. Club Bruges, do they get any points in this group? And I don't mean to be mean to Club Bruges, who did win the Belgian First Division by a 16-point margin last season, but given what they're up against. Uh, I'll say yes, just because at some point it feels like grabbing a draw is likely. But man... For as challenging as this group will be for Leipzig, how much more so will it be for Bruges? That is a terrible draw for them. There are groups in this in this competition where they could have had a much better chance, a much, much, much better chance of getting out, and it is a shame that they ended up in Group A. Indeed. Next week, next Wednesday, we have City against Leipzig, and we have Bruges against PSG. That's how Group A is starting off. Let's move on, shall we, to Group B. Liverpool, Atletico Madrid, AC Milan, and the dictator of Porto's favourite team. (laughs) Uh, I've seen, Joe, this one described by The Athletic as the group of death. Do you buy that narrative? Uh, This is also a hard group. It's not the group of death. Group A is the group of death, unless we're just assuming that there's really no questions about who's going to be dead. And so maybe that makes it less exciting. (laughs) But Group B is not the group of death, people. Disagree. Really? Oh. Yeah, man. Really? This is my group of death. Just because I, I like this was an argument Daryl would always make, and we disagreed on it. I slowly came around to his way of thinking that a group of death is only truly a group of death if you have all four teams are going to cause problems. And as we've already talked about, Club Bruges will be lucky to get a point, let alone multiple points from that group. So I think like oftentimes it then is well, there's two in- incredibly world class above all others teams, and then there's Leipzig, who are very, very good, and then there's Bruges, who are good. And at, Whereas I think Group B for me is like Liverpool. I, I think they're going to be much stronger this season, and they have Virgil van Dijk back. I think they will have this sort of chip on their shoulder about people have forgotten us and people aren't taking us seriously. Atleti have brought in Antoine back, I should say, Antoine Griezmann, and already have the strength. They're reigning La Liga champions, so stands to reason they're going to be pretty competitive. Milan have the veterans that we all know, like Zlatan Ibrahimovic, but a ton of youngsters. Porto are always dynamic and interesting, even if not consistently successful in the Champions League, but have had past successes, obviously. And I, I think it's just... We could see this group 
being level on points going into like that final match day. And I wouldn't be surprised. We could see it be pretty separated out because two teams have sort of risen to the occasion. And that wouldn't surprise me. But I think the openness combined with the talent combined with the prestige of those are four. I think uh, somebody on the athletic or maybe it was Michael Cox said like, that's like four proper European teams. Mm. And I know what he means. Like those are four teams that people know, they know their names, they know what they mean and they know the significance to this tournament. Four proper teams or whatever the term was. That's like the most 90s British thing that someone yep. could possibly say. It's not It's not wrong. And Taylor, I like I like your point about what makes a group of death. I like Daryl's point about what makes a group of death a group of death. Yeah, I'm I don't, just feeling it. I don't, I don't know where I stand, <laughs> but I. that's a very strong argument you make. Okay, I'm, I'm won around by the group of death argument that Taylor has put forward there. But I would posit, uh, Joe, that maybe Milan are the team whose mortality is most at risk. In this group, <laughs> um, having lost Under Armour, having you know a, a, a relatively <laughs> aging front line, albeit with uh, youth in other areas of the field, are they? We, we had Inter Milan bottom of their group last time around. Could it be their San Zero buddies who finished fourth in this group? Maybe it could be. And this is this is one of the beauties about this group is it's really hard to predict where some of these teams will end up. Like Taylor's already mentioned something about Liverpool. You've got Atleti in there as well. Porto, who is strong, made that quarterfinal run last season and have some varied defensive game plans from game to game. And then you have AC Milan, who started the Serie A season well, to be fair to them. They've got two wins. They're tied for top of the table, not top of the table on goal difference, but they're up there on points. I don't know how this particular group stage will go for AC Milan. They absolutely do have a shot. But Ryan, I do buy into that premise of them being maybe the weakest team in this group, even though I like a lot of the pieces that they have. Yeah, it seems, um, Taylor, maybe it's Atleti and Liverpool we'd be looking to be the top two teams out of this group. It's Liverpool-Milan, by the way, this Wednesday, uh, a retelling of a, a previous, a couple <laughs> of previous Champions League finals, yeah. shall we say. Um, and Atleti versus Porto, obviously, as well. With Atleti, it seems like they, they've strengthened, they've got Griezmann back, they haven't mm-hmm. really lost much. Nope. They're going to be a tricky customer in this one. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they are the team that, in my mind... Not as most dependent upon, but most at least in, like enjoyed the away goals rule. Like they are the team I think mm. of as being just so impossible to break down at home, and then going on the road. If they get to play at home with the away goals rule, it always was the case that they would manage to hold on for the nil nil, and then on the road in that second leg would just like scrape something early, and then the entire game is open, but also not open at the same time. Because again, they're very good defensively. With that rule changed, I think it's going to be interesting to see if that impacts the way Atleti want to play or the way they approach once we get to the knockout round, if they make the knockout round. But before that, obviously, we've got plenty of time in the group stage for them to figure things out. And I think Simeone is proving himself to be an adept manager when it comes to league campaigns, but also knockout campaigns. And that is a skill set that is really difficult to have simultaneously. Like Rafa Benitez, I think of as a very good knockout manager, maybe less so league manager, and other mm. managers go the the other way. So I think Simeone, like he's another one, I think similar to Pep, Ryan, that like it seems like he's going to be there for a long time. He has been with Atleti for a long time, but as he continues to like develop his skill set and be able to kind of utilize these attacking pieces, assuming he does with Jao Felix and now Antoine Griezmann coming back and the other ridiculous depth of talent he already had, it, it adds 
variations to the way they want to play. And I think that was the goal for last season. If he's able to do it more successfully this time round, I do think they make it out of the group pretty easily. But I also think he continues to be a name that is touted for pretty much every big job when there's a vacancy. Yeah, I'm I'm putting Joe, I'm putting Atleti down as a lock for Group B. And it's that other place I'm not sure about. It feels like Liverpool is Liverpool's to lose. But Porto, I mean, they knocked out Juve last year. They put up a pretty good fight against the eventual champions, Chelsea, as well. Is it going to be a tricky? It's going to be tricky for Liverpool. But how tricky is it going to be with Porto on their back and maybe Milan, too? Liverpool is very strong, and I'm I'm with you guys. I think they're going to be better this season than last season, certainly. But Porto will make things difficult for them. That's kind of Porto's brand, especially in this competition. It's a little bit different in the league. But Sergio Conceição put together last year a number of different game plans to just make life miserable for the opposition, right? He would drop the wingers back and form a six-man back line and play this 6-3-1 shape, or at times it'd be a five-man back line with more numbers in front of that particular line. He can tweak things and change things, and his players are comfortable sitting deep and shifting side to side in a block. And Ryan, the most important thing about Porto right now is that Sergio Conceição's son, Chico Conceição, is still playing for them, and he's still getting minutes. So that obviously bodes very, very well for the Conceição's and for Porto. I'm excited to see them. They don't always play the most fun, aesthetically pleasing style of soccer in this particular competition. But they're going to make life hard for Liverpool, for Atleti, for AC Milan, and that could put them in a good spot come the end of this group. And we haven't actually talked about Liverpool very much, so the quick note on them, um, you know, they've got a million centre-backs as opposed to having very few last time around. (laughs) Uh, They've strengthened. They almost didn't qualify for this tournament, of course, save for a a pretty good run in the Premier League towards the end of last season. Uh, Are you feeling good about their European hopes, Taylor? Uh, Yes. I mean, as a Man United fan, no. But uh, as as I think like a Liverpool enjoyer for what they bring to the equation and how they play. Yeah, I I think I am because though I don't think they had the most active offseason, it's not as though they they had a ton of areas of need and they went out and signed a bunch of players. Like I I think they still, because of Virgil van Dijk coming back, that just gives them such strength at the back that they did not have and so much more confidence in how they want to play. Joe Gomez also very much a part of that as well, that you get your two starting center backs back. You, if you have that front three firing, if you have just kind of like a lean, hungry, again, chip on their shoulder, Liverpool team with Jurgen Klopp behind them. I, I don't get that. Not that it was complacency. Obviously injuries were a big part of it, but Like we all know, it's really difficult to to repeat. It's really difficult to kind of stay at that top, top level. There are always going to be downturns and it's about how you respond. And I think that Klopp is still there. The majority of the key names are still there. The team seems to be playing the same style they always had. We haven't heard a ton of stories about burnout or the players are tired of the tactics or tired of the techniques in training. It just seems like it remains a, a hungry, motivated team that plays really aggressive football that can be really difficult to deal with. And so I think there's plenty of reason for optimism. If you're a Liverpool fan, I have them getting out of the group. And, and, and Harvey Elliott. Every time we get to watch Harvey mm. Elliott, the world gets a little bit better. So uh, I'm excited <laughs> for that. We've got Harvey Elliott. We've got the Kinsaysal dynasty continuing. Lots to talk about <laughs> Konate. in Group B. Ibrahima Konate. I knew there was one. I was like, I know they signed somebody. I cannot remember who it was. Ibrahima Konate. There we go. Indeed. Group C. Uh, we've got Sporting Lisbon or Sporting CP. Uh, I always say Sporting Lisbon, even though I know it's technically wrong. What are you going to do uh. about it? Borussia Dortmund, Ajax and Besiktas. Uh, mm-hmm. Joe, I'm thinking Borussia Dortmund, Marco Rosa's Borussia Dortmund might be the strongest contender in this group. An interesting one, though. 
It is. I could see this one going a number of different ways. I don't think it qualifies for group of death status. We don't need to keep bringing that up for each group. I apologize. but I disagree. Dor- <laughs> we do need to keep bringing it up. Dortmund are a fun team, and I am very excited to watch them in this competition. They have they started okay under Marco Rosa. They've got two wins and one loss in their first three games. But as someone who watches a lot of the U.S. men's national team, maybe too much for my own good, as someone who watches a lot of Americans abroad and all of those good things, I'm stoked to see Gio Reyna and Dortmund play in this tournament because Gio Reyna's changed positions, which Taylor and I have talked about a few different times. He's now playing as more of an eight instead of a, a right winger, and that's been fun to watch. He's getting on the ball more. He's doing more central midfielder things. He's getting involved in the game, and it's great. I think he's he's really adapting to that spot well, and I want to see him play more of these high-stakes games. And then anytime you get to watch Erling Holland ever, uh, you do because he is a game changer and he was in last year's edition of the Champions League. You've got Jude Bellingham who did some fun stuff for England over this international break. It's a it's a fun squad of players. I'm excited to learn more about Marco Rosa's managerial style and what tactics he's going to use on a game-to-game basis. I, I do have Dortmund as the favorites in this group, but again, wouldn't be surprised if this went a few different ways. Taylor, it seems uh, Bruce Dortmund give us the roller coaster treatment. They're either good or terrible um, mm-hmm. week on week, but... Yep. I agree with much of what Joe said there, particularly the midfield. Jude Bellingham, Thorgan Azar, uh, Mr. Rayner, Marco Royce. That's a strong middle of the park, isn't it? It is. And I think Daoud in there as well. Mm. You've, got, you've got a lot of talent. It always is about how Dortmund are able to find the combination that gives them like the strongest team most consistently. In my mind, Dortmund seemed to be a team that, at least in years past, change a little bit from game to game they'll either be a different formation or a different like midfield pairing or a different center back pairing and some managers like that I, like w- what pep i think named his like first unchanged team since 2017 <laughs> like recently but I, I i think i tend to be one who wants to know the structure and the style that then you can sort of develop off of or improvise off of and it does feel like Dortmund are getting more of that with Marco Rosa. And yes, the season has not started as strongly as maybe they would have liked, but I still think they finish in the Champions League spots for sure. Probably top three, probably top two even, I would go that far. Uh, I don't know if they end up challenging Bayern Munich, but it it just it does feel like for the longest time, I would argue maybe since like early Thomas Tuchel, Dortmund haven't really had that manager that felt like, yeah, this is the guy. It's this like young, exciting, dynamic manager. That is what I think of with Rosa, less so with, say, Lucien Favre. And so uh, I, I feel like this is the first time in a while we've seen Dortmund with a a manager that seems to fit their ethos and fits with Dortmund. He just looks like he's supposed to be managing on the sidelines for Dortmund. <laughs> and not that that will help them, but that I think the consistency and the squad chemistry will be there in a way that it hasn't been previously. Joe, if we presume Dortmund to take one of these places through to the knockout stages, who do you like? Is there a dark horse in here maybe out of Lisbon, Sporting Lisbon, Ajax or Besiktas? I'm interested in what Besiktas do in this tournament. They just signed Miralem Pjanic on loan from Barcelona, and, and Pjanic continues his tour of being, I don't know, uh, I guess more talked about in the accounting room than necessarily uh, his work on the field. But I'm, I'm interested to see how they do in this particular edition of the Champions League. I don't, 
I don't feel particularly strongly about any of these other teams. I enjoy watching Ajax. They didn't make it out of the group stage last season, but they've had a strong start to the Eredivisie season. I don't know who's going to finish runner-up. I don't even know if Dortmund are going to win this group. This group, and part of the reason why I'm so excited about it, is it's a wild card group, right? We talked about Dortmund's Jekyll and Hyde-ness. We talked about some of these other teams that we're not entirely sure how they're going to perform. One of the most fun things for me in the group stage of this competition is it can go any way, and Group C might embody that the best. Oh. Taylor is a former resident of uh, Istanbul. Uh, I assume you have six or seven pages of notes on Besiktas. Uh, Kyle Lahren's there. That's fun. I mean, it's Team Canada. It's Atiba Hutchinson and Kyle Laren. 38-year-old Atiba Hutchinson running that midfield, and it makes me happy. Uh, yeah, like I, I think Besiktas, it's this group for me. Hang on, is well, how do you pronounce that? Besiktas. Uh, okay, thank I you. I did not do that right. No, me <laughs> No, it's, well, so it's, I was actually thinking about this before we started recording. The British pronunciation seems to be that like Besiktas or mm-hmm. Besiktas. I, I feel like there's always the emphasis on that second syllable. And maybe that's how you're supposed to say it. Maybe that's how the Brits say it. But the way I was taught was Besiktas, basically, as like wh- like two syllables. You say it very fast. But Besiktas is what I was I was taught, at least. Uh, it sounds do- cooler. And we lived a block away from their stadium when we were there. The old stadium that was like this weird assembled over 60 years and built like with different architectural styles. Their new one is much prettier, but in the same location, but will still give you that insanely intense atmosphere that made Timo Werner sub out when he was playing with RB Leipzig because it was it was too loud and too raucous. But Dortmund known for their atmosphere, Ajax the same, sporting the same, Besiktas very much the same. So we'll get very good atmospheres because we will get crowd noise. And for Besiktas, there's also Michi Batshuayi. They are a fun one to, to watch if you are a neutral. I didn't even know about Pjanic, but that is... Such a Besiktas signing to bring in this this like veteran midfield playmaker slash just like like on the ball presence who will be very good in the league and that I wonder how they will utilize him in the Champions League when you have to be more disciplined, especially in a group with some of this talent. If Group B is a group of death, is Group C the group of atmosphere? Might yeah, be, I'll huh? take that one. I'll yeah. take that one. The group of vibes. <laughs> the vibes group. Well, how, how about Joe Ajax? Are they operating on vibes in this one? They went out in the group stage last season. Will they improve upon that, do you think? I think they can. They have some of my favorite young midfield talent in the world right now. Uh, they have a number of different really fun young players. One of my favorite central midfielders in the world to watch is Mexico's Edson Alvarez. And he doesn't really fit that classic Ajax style of play, but he can bring a bit of a changeup in midfield. He's more of a destroyer. I think more Tyler Adams than Sergio Busquets to use almost polar opposites on that particular. I should use Conte instead of Adams. But it is he, he's much more towards the Conte-Adams end of the defensive midfield scale. But that's part of what makes him so fun and I think what could make him really important in the Champions League is these are really important games and if there's moments where Ajax need that little bit of extra ground coverage Alvarez can do that stuff so it's he's one of my guilty pleasure players to watch uh, along with like Tecatito Corona who's brilliant was fun to watch in last year's Champions League a, a number of different Mexican internationals but Ajax have the talent they're fun to watch under Ten Hag they've had a pretty solid start in the Eredivisie this season yeah they could they could absolutely make up for their lack of advancement in last year's competition. Ajax uh, on Wednesday will be facing Sporting Lisbon, Taylor. Uh, We've got uh, Portugal's big three teams in this competition this season. Uh, This team were the one that won the league. How do we feel about that? 
I I will I will hold my hands up and say like I watch so little Portuguese league that <laughs> like you could tell me all three of these teams all three of their teams are going to be wildly competitive this season and I'd say like yeah that wouldn't surprise me they're always good at bringing through young talent and being exciting you could tell me actually they're in a downturn of form and they're bringing through academy players and I would say is that different than normal they always seem to be bringing through academy players but they always seem to somehow still be competitive so I, I like I think I will claim ignorance in saying that I wouldn't feel confident saying Lisbon will or won't get out of the group but I think Dortmund definitely will and I think Eileen Ajax just maybe for historical reasons and then some of the personnel Joe mentioned and then some of the attacking talent they have that I am just personally more familiar with all right I'll go Dortmund Ajax as well Joe you back in that I am yeah I man I hope this one is a group of chaos and we're all picking the same two teams no you know what no I'll go I'll go <laughs> wait Taylor test me here I'll go Besiktas that wasn't very good I feel yeah like. that was good but, okay all right I'm gonna go Besiktas and Dortmund here I mean, you're wrong, but that's a good pronunciation. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Moving on to Group D, gents. We've got a big, uh, some, some, some juggernauts in here. Uh, Real Madrid, Inter Milan, Shakhtar Donetsk, and the newest kid on the block, Sheriff Turispol from the aforementioned Moldova. Three of these teams were in the same group last year. How does yep. that happen? How does that happen? And as I mentioned before, Inter Milan shockingly finished bottom of the group last season. Uh... Taylor, how do you feel about this one? How do we feel about Real Madrid, for example? Losing, they've lost some big players, some very big players in Sergio Ramos and, and, and Varane going out. Um, but maybe Nazal's back. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Gareth Bale's getting in favour again. Maybe, <laughs> oh maybe, maybe. Is that where we are? Real Madrid, um, Real Madrid to me are a big maybe, I suppose. Yeah, but I think this is sort of a big maybe of a group because Inter Milan losing uh, Lukaku, losing yeah. Atraf Hakimi, losing their manager, they are also... Again, not in a rebuild because they still have a ton of strength, and I think Simone Inzaghi is a very good manager. I think they will be very good. I wouldn't be surprised even if Inter win this group. But with the sort of divide that exists, Shakhtar are always capable of springing surprises and seem to be even more so capable of that right now. Uh, but I think Madrid have the talent, have the depth, and most importantly, just have the experience. They've they've been here before, and for them to play at home is always an advantage for them to go on the road is still sort of an advantage because they are such a big draw that like when they go to to Moldova, I'm sure it will be a, an intense atmosphere. I'm sure that crowd will be up for it and trying to make it as hostile as they can. But at the same time, it's Real Madrid. And there will be some level of like reverence and like, oh, we get to see these guys. And I just think it their reputation gives them that extra little advantage that is then backed up by having an experienced manager like Carlo Ancelotti there and some of the talent they do have, even despite a sort of downturn in those big, big, big name stars. I think the signings that they did make, specifically Kamavinga, will be so important to them. And then next season, when they bring in Kylian Mbappe, they'll be even more threatening. But for this one, I think they will be fine to get it out of the group. I do hope we have one big team not make it out. That's always much more interesting to me than everybody being there. So maybe this is the group when we don't get Inter or Madrid. But I feel like in the end, we'll have those two going through and Shakhtar going to the Europa League. I kind of fancy Taylor Shakhtar to make a stink in this group and maybe mm. even knock one of those big teams out. Uh, they got past Gink and Monaco in the qualification stages here. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? They, it was a week or two ago, the 2-2 draw, that wild extra time goal that um, against Monaco that yes. got Shakhtar through. Um their manager is Roberto De Zerbi, who managed to swallow. So he, he's going to hopefully know a bit about Inzaghi teams and, and Inter Milan oh, that's as right. well. I forgot. So he, we have three Italian managers in this yeah. one. 
That's right, we do. Uh, so he might have the inside track there, and I, I fancy Shakhtar to do something. And we have to bear in mind, by the way, they haven't played a home game since 2014. The Donbass Arena uh, was, uh, you know, the Don Donbass is uh, in an active war zone, effectively, at the moment, and the stadium's actually been damaged by artillery shelling as well. They they were playing in Kharkiv, the Metalist Stadium, I believe they now share with Dynamo Kiev. Um, so they're doing all this despite having spent wow. years away from their actual home and a long way from home as well at that. But Taylor, that was my long-winded way of saying, Shakhtar, they might make a stink. I mean, they're a fascinating club for the reasons you've mentioned, but then they still churn talent. They still bring through players, a lot of them Brazilian. Right now they have 11 Brazilians on the senior team, which is a thing that I do feel like has been a consistent part of their DNA for many years. And I didn't know why, so I was looking it up. And it seems like a lot of the credit goes to their former manager, uh, Luchescu, who is now managing Dinamo Kiev. But he was with Shakhtar for 12 years and in that time kind of brought about the priority, similar to, say, Porto, of bringing through young Brazilian players, bringing them over. And uh, I think Ukraine has pretty favorable work uh, permit laws, so it's easier to get a work permit to play there. But they're bringing through youngsters who are 18, 19, 20, 21 to then sell them on. But in the meantime, play attractive attacking football that will keep them in the shop window. And that was developed by Luchescu, embraced by Fonseca, and now continues to be the sort of operational policy. But it's not just Brazilians. They do also have uh, one player that I think people should keep an eye on. Um, if they do want to make a run, I think Lacina Traore will be very important. Signed from Ajax this summer before he fully breaks, broke through at that club. He's uh, 20 years old, but has four goals in four games so far. And from what I have seen of him, he is absolutely going to be sold for a lot of money in the next couple windows. He's oh. got tight control, a very good first touch. He is very strong. His hold-up play is excellent, but so too is his ability to kind of turn under pressure and then play forward. His passing range is solid. He can finish and get in the box and score. I think he is a really fun, exciting player to watch, and I think this Shakhtar team could be as well. So I do hope they, they, they prove spoiler. It would be really fun for them to make it to the knockout round and, and go far because they have been proven to cause problems in the past. So maybe they can do that again this season. Is there a more elite surname in soccer than Traore? If you did a word cloud of surnames in soccer, Traore would probably be the biggest. I think we, it's like Traore and Keita. Those are the two. Mm. I think that 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 I think they relate to like uh, tribes in Africa. I might be totally right. wrong on that one. I hope I am totally not. But uh, yeah, Traore is up there, and I think there's even like another Adama Traore <laughs> involved the, in this group. So, there is or, indeed Taylor. Yeah. So there you go. There's a few of them. You have read my segue because there is another <laughs> Traore in this group. Adama Traore. No, not yep. that one. He plays yep. for Sheriff Tiraspol. Uh, Madova is Europe's poorest nation. And uh, this team is now guaranteed at least $19 million in prize money. That's going to go some way to helping them. They failed to get out of the qualifying stages of this competition on the last eight occasions. And as I mentioned earlier, they played eight games to get through uh, to this competition as well. They beat Red Star and Dynamo Zagreb on the way. So some pretty relatively established teams to get here. So well done to them. I do love it. Uh, Joe, when a small team like this gets through a minnow, if you will, uh, relatively speaking. So a quick 10 minutes on their strategy, uh, all their players, <laughs> and just break it down for us, Joe. Uh, no, but also, <laughs> Sheriff, Sheriff, give this 
Champions League a bit of a March Madness feeling. Uh, I was just talking the other day yeah. with somebody about just how March Madness is one of the most unifying and enjoyable sporting events in the United States, and I would argue in the world. I mean, obviously that's biased from my particular perspective, but I love I love the feeling of small teams versus big teams, right? That's a lot of why we love sports, and we get that in a continental sense in this particular group. Now, Sheriff are very much not a small team in Moldova. Um, from what I've read, they put together a $200 million training complex where a lot of other teams in the top league in Moldova and the Moldovan national division don't even have their own training center. So there is a big disparity with talent and with resources that Sheriff have over the rest of the teams in their league. That said, I'm setting that aside to enjoy the David-Goliath matchups that we're going to get in this group. I am so looking forward to watching this team, figuring out how they play. I assume it's going to have to be very defensive, especially against Inter and Madrid and even Shakhtar to an extent. But, man, you don't get stuff like this a whole lot, and so Mm. I'm going to be soaking up every minute of it. Joe, that is that's such a cool point, though. That like, at least I think it's cool. That like <laughs> to us as outsiders, it's like, oh, there's like this Moldovan team, and sh- their name Sheriff. Like, I was hoping it was gonna be like an "I shot the sheriff" reference. It turns out it's just one of their sponsors. But it's interesting that like they are. There are probably people in that country who hate Sheriff right, for the right. like resources they have and the talent they're able to collect. That like, I I definitely think of them as like, oh, I'm sure the entire country will be pulling for them when in. Like actuality, I'm sure half the country is probably actively rooting against them. Yeah, that, like it, that's just how sports work sometimes. Yep. And from our perspective, we don't see it, but I think yeah. that is the reality. That's uh, our analysis of the Moldovan sports scene there. Um, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, not a lot of other podcasts are going to have anything even close to approximating an analysis of Moldovan sports. In, that's very true. I'm trying to think. There was a team that Barcelona lost to a, a, a minnow team years ago. It wasn't like Ferencváros. It was someone like that. But it, it, it shows that this yeah. kind of thing can happen. Uh, forgive me for not remembering the name of that team or or the year. But it was when Barcelona were very much in their pomp and had you know, money in their pockets, yeah. which they. You know, Ryan, you have like referencing things like that. You have talked me into Madrid not getting out of this group. That's and, what I was like, getting to. And I think I still think they will because it's Madrid. But when I look at, at, at like, and I think Milan will be the one or Inter. Excuse me, Inter, not Milan. Inter will be the one to like. That's going to get the headlines of oh, they lost their manager, they lost these big marquee players. They're going to fall off, like fall off. Uh, but really. I think Inzaghi's a good manager and I think is going to be able to to replicate a lot of what he basically to blend what he did at Lazio with what Inter did last season to find a workable solution that isn't necessarily reliant on having players like Atraf Hakimi. I think Inter will be fine. Uh famous last words. I think Shakhtar will be will be interesting and difficult and unexpected. Madrid there are definitely red flags there of mm-hmm. not being able to bring in Mbappe, losing some of the talent they've lost and just not having that that mystique around them not having that Galacticos mystique but even Ancelotti coming back I love Carlo Ancelotti I am starting to buy into the idea that he is a very good not to go right back to it but like vibes manager that he is about less so about like rigorous training and making sure everybody's doing the exact thing that he wants them to be doing and more so managing personalities to get the best out of a collective unit and there is certainly an argument that that is what Madrid Madrid need but I think there's an argument also that they need more than that. And and I think basically Carlo Ancelotti is no longer a slam dunk. Yes, they're going to win. They're going to be fine. He he knows what he's doing. I feel like I'm speaking in an incredibly negative way about a manager who is <laughs> so, so accomplished. And, and I don't mean to, but I, I, I do 
have some concerns about Madrid that I didn't really realize I did or to the level that I do, and less so about Inter. So I think Inter top the group, and then I think it's going to be Madrid, maybe just edging out Shakhtar, but it will be closer than expected. I'm going into Shakhtar. That's what I'm All going. Right. I'm saying Madrid going through to the, the, the indignity for by their standards of oh, the Europa people League. People are going to be so mad. People are going to be so mad with this I episode. Know. I know. <laughs> well, they won't be mad at me because I'm saying Madrid are going through along right. with Inter. So There we go. There Thanks, you go. Joe. Yep. There we go. Thank you for addressing <laughs> the angry balance there, Joe. Uh, group E, Bayern Munich, Barcelona. Benfica. I mean, Karim Benzema's there. Benzema's going to score at least like 15 goals somehow. Yes. He always does. Yes, yes, he is. All, All against right. Sheriff in one game. Possibly. That's probably true. Possibly. Sorry, Sheriff. Sorry, sorry to our Moldovan contingent, contingent who are listening today. <laughs> Group E, as I say, by Munich, Barcelona, Benfica, and Dynamo Kiev. Can Benfica or Dynamo upset Barcelona, I suppose, is the headline question here in terms of qualification, Joseph. Yeah, absolutely. Barcelona are, uh, I don't know if you guys heard about this, they're a little bit dysfunctional right now. No. Um, yeah, yeah. Less less so that. on the field than in, in the front office and in the boardroom. But I do not think they are this invincible. I mean, we, we know they're not this invincible team at this point in their life. They are beatable. Uh, they have weaknesses. Even that said, I'm one of the things I'm most excited for in this group is to watch Memphis Depay, who I think is a brilliant signing from them and would have been talked about a lot more if you know the whole messy thing hadn't happened and all the other mistakes they've made hadn't happened too. Stoked to watch Depay. That said, Benfica and Dynamo Kiev can absolutely take one of these two top spots. I think Bayern Munich should be the favorites to advance. Beyond that, Barcelona I still have getting out of this group, but Benfica just made a nice piece of business over the offseason, bringing in Roman Yaremchuk, uh, Ukraine's striker who we all watched in the Euros. They signed him for about 15 million euros from Ghent in Belgium earlier this summer. Yaremchuk is a phenomenal number nine and I think has a higher ceiling even than Benfica, not that that isn't a big club. But both, I mean, all of these teams have talent, and because of where Barcelona is right now in their life cycle, I think Benfica and Dynamo Kiev should be licking their lips and saying, we actually have a shot to get out of this group. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of fancy Benfica to take that second spot, maybe at Barcelona's expense, Taylor. And I know I pushed you on Portuguese teams before, <laughs> but um, Jorge is this team, you know, it's, it's one of those exciting teams pushing the wing backs high. They do things quite excitingly on the field. And as Joe mentioned that they do good business. They're one of these mm-hmm. teams that seem to produce amazing players and sell them for an awful lot of money and still, still get bargains and keep bringing those players through as well. Yeah, I mean, and to the extent that they've started this season with, uh, I think, four wins, uh, like four wins on the season, or at least they've got like the full contingent of points, 12 points, yeah, eight four for four. four. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and and I think along the way, getting by PSV in the qualifiers, playing a 3-4-2-1, being pretty attacking, as you said, Ryan. But I think also creating their chances and taking those chances. My prediction for this group is that Benfica will score off a second chance on a corner. Uh, Watching highlights of their most recent couple of games and seeing how often it's a redirected header at the near post to the back post put in, or it's a moon ball to the back post that's headed back across to the near post and put in. They've got a lot of different looks and set pieces, and they crash numbers into the box for those corners and for any free kicks. So I'm saying they're scoring at least one goal uh, off of a corner. And I would say a player to keep your eye on uh, for Benfica is Morato, who's a player that I did not know anything about until watching uh, that footage. But he's a 20-year-old left-footed Brazilian center back. He plays on the left side of a back three. Um, and he 
I think has come through their academy, so to speak. He's been there since 2019. So I guess he, since he was 18 years old before that playing in Brazil, but that is sort of the model is they bring through teenager Brazilians to play for a few years and then sell on for a lot of money. And he is the type of player that will be sold on for a lot of money from what I saw, because he's got the size, the physicality, but then a like, an ability to ping a ball with his left foot. I saw plenty of like 40-yard passes in between the lines from him that I think will be valuable if they are going to try to play on the break, if they are going to prize open a club like Bayern Munich or more likely a club like Barcelona. I I think he will be pretty involved. So Morato is a player to watch. Benfica on the corner is a scenario to watch. But I, I think there's reasons for optimism, as Joe said, for both Benfica and Kiev just because of the the relative vulnerability and the relative weakness of this current Barcelona team. That said, it's Barcelona. It's Ronald Koeman, who's now still there. You don't have like the managerial change on top of losing Lionel Messi on top of everything else. And I still think Barcelona this season have a nobody believed in us like possibility that just losing Messi, it's so easy to immediately be written off and, and people are just going to kind of look elsewhere for who's going to win this, who's going to go far. And having said earlier that that might cost Madrid, I feel like they they will end up being fine. But I think Barcelona will be equally okay at a time when I think the reports of their demise might be slightly exaggerated. And then I think Bayern Munich will win the group pretty easily. I agree on the Bayern, Bayern Munich note there, Taylor. Yeah. Um, you, you went in the space of about 15 minutes from uh, admitting you don't watch enough Portuguese soccer to make a judgment on these teams to saying Benfica would score off a second chance of a corner. I watched uh, a lot of Benfica. That's quite a swing. <laughs> I, well, so Benfica, like, I think it's basically, I just know it's going to be those three clubs. And so I tend to rely upon the Champions League. And even in Weekend yeah. Review, I feel like we don't always do Portuguese clashes. Like, maybe that's a thing that we should try to change this season. So I think I end up looking at them from a Champions League lens. And Benfica were the ones this time around that I felt like I knew the least about. And maybe it's also because this group feels pretty wide open in a way that I wasn't expecting before I started reading about it. More Liga Nosh on the pod. Note made. Thank you, Taylor. <laughs> um, Joe, a quick one before we move on from this group. Bayern Munich, they're going to win this group, right? Yep. Nagelsmann's team's pretty strong and they've strengthened once again like Bayern do. Yeah, I mean, if they don't win the group, the sky won't be falling. Uh, but they should win the group and they have the talent to do so. They'll, they'll be coming off of they'll have another game before this, uh, after this particular episode is out. But their last Bundesliga game to date, as we're recording on Friday, was a 5 nothing win over Hertha Berlin. They have so much talent. They've strengthened their squad, like you're saying, Ryan. They should win this group and they should make a run. Barcelona versus Bayern at the new Camp this Tuesday. Probably the box office game of the week as well. So we look forward to that one. That'll be the one that's on Big Boy TV, if indeed they still put games on the CBS channel. I don't know how they do it anymore. Group F, Villarreal, <laughs> Manchester United, Atalanta and Young Boys. Taylor, your team's in here, pal. How do you feel uh-huh. about this one? We've got um, a replay potentially, or actually, of last year's Europa League final, Villarreal and Manchester United. How did that one Shake out again. Uh, first of all, shut up. <laughs> Second of all, uh, I, 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 man, I appreciate you throwing to me for this one. I want to be positive about Manchester United. I really do. I would love to be, be able to feel like, yeah, they're going to do it. It's going to be fine. They've got no problems. I don't feel that way about them. And the Ronaldo signing has not helped, uh, both for the off-field reasons, but also we talked about this before we started recording. Ole talking about how he is this like clinical finisher that they've desperately needed. And then all of the responding statistics about how he only hits the target 35% of the time and is like one for 6,000 on his free kick attempts. 
I, I'm a little concerned that there is a, I, again, that sort of all-star mentality to this current Manchester United team of, yeah, we'll just put nine attackers out there and I'm sure we'll get a result. And sometimes you do. And then sometimes, as we found last season, you forget to leave any defenders back on a corner and literally get scored on because uh, Istanbul BB go the other way and have no defenders between them and the goal, which is a thing that happened and I think haunts my dreams a little bit when it comes to Manchester United <laughs> and the Champions League. Oh, boy. Joseph, yeah. how about Villarreal? How about them Villarreals? Unai Emery. Unai Emery? Unai Emery, excuse me, who's won the Europa League four times, of course. Are they just going to be shooting for third place here because they don't want to risk not getting in that competition? <laughs> it's like all Emery ever wants and in, in plans for is the Europa League. He's not actually trying to do anything else in his career. No, I mean, this is this is a strong squad as well. Every team in this particular competition has quality. Villarreal has not started the league particularly well this season. They've got got three points from their first three games with all three of those being draws. I don't know how they're going to do in this group. I don't have them as a favorite to advance. I've got Atalanta and Manchester United as my top two. So I I personally feel like Villarreal are headed towards that coveted Europa League trophy yeah. yet again. Ooh. Joe, you if you don't mind, if, Joe and Ryan actually, like uh, I would like to own the fact that I tend to be pessimistic about Manchester United and I don't mean to be. I just find it hard to kind of believe in them for any number of reasons am, am i being overly pessimistic or do you all actually have concerns about them i think if it were a stronger group and i'm not trying to be disrespectful to Villarreal or young boys i think i do have atlanta winning the atalanta winning the group not atlanta uh but atalanta <laughs> but it just it like manchester united always find a way to trip themselves up in my in my perspective but i'm wondering if that's just my perspective as a fan shining through you're asking taylor me the person who put money on manchester united to win the league this year uh, there we go. I, See? I still, there we go. I, I think they're gonna. I think they've got. I think they'll smash this group. I think they've got okay. decent depth. I think they, they've got enough depth to challenge on multiple fronts, very much Champions League included. And as and you, you noted the you know put a bunch of attackers on and see how it goes. But there's so much options up top now, and I think that's that's going to be a virtue for the team. And um, all right, I I would be very, much more positive than you. Yeah. And, all right. I, yeah, sorry, Joe. No, sorry, just to add quickly, I feel much better about Manchester United getting out of this group than I do about Ryan's bet for them to win the title. Let's put it that <laughs> way. They have, they have the talent to advance, and they should advance, and if they don't, that's a real problem for Ole. I am not sold on his ability to manage a team. I don't think they've been particularly strong this season, but there are still pieces that have yet to be added in, or at least added in consistently. So it is a bit too early, in my view, to make some of these long-term judgments. All right, you all you all have swayed me. Here's where I am. Uh, I hope that they smash this group. I hope that they win it handily because that means they, at the very least, are are like functioning as a cohesive unit. And Ole has got them playing good good soccer. If they don't, and if they fail fail to make it out, I think that means he he has to go, and you have to bring in somebody who can get the best out of those parts. What I don't want it to be is they sort of limp through in second place, but because they're still alive, he sticks around. Like I, I think I need. Like to uh, have some definitive feelings about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the manager, because he still seems to be the biggest unknown of this club at this point, at least for me. Fair enough. Joe, do you have definitive feelings about Atalanta? I think I heard you say you think they're going to sneak through in this group. Uh, Christian Romero being sold to Spurs, of course, but they are a perennially strong team in this competition of late. My feelings are all happy and, and heart emojis for Atalanta. They have not started well this season in Serie A. It's only been two games. So again, caution there in making any long-term conclusions. Gasparini's Atalanta team is just always fun to watch. And that's a huge reason why I'm, I'm looking forward to watching them. Duh. In the Champions League, they are like a Euro 2020 all-star team. 
They have Mala as one of the wingbacks, oh, yeah. uh, who plays for Denmark. Robin Gosens, who was at that Gosens. tournament with Germany. Freuler, who I like uh, with Switzerland. They have Malinovsky, who was so fun for Ukraine. And then you've got Josip Ilicic as well, who is not at the Euros, but is such a wild card. Like, I think if you look up wild card in the dictionary, his face pops up and non-soccer fans are really confused as to why. But if you've watched him, he is a, he's an X-factor and he is a loose cannon. So good on the dribble. This team is fun. The rotations that Gasparini runs are exciting to watch. I don't know if they're going to be good this season. I think they will be, but I think they have the talent to get out of this group, and, and I'm just stoked to watch them because they're great. Likewise, likewise. Taylor, um, in game week one, Ronaldo's going to be grappling some young boys at the Wankdorf, of course. Uh, David <laughs> Wagner's young boys. You're so proud of specific. that. You're so proud of that. You're welcome. I'm here all week. Um, I didn't know David Wagner was there. That's exciting. Yeah. Kind of an American link to uh, Young Boys hey. we have there as well. Uh, young Boys All first right. in the Swiss Super League last year. They went through a bunch of qualifiers to get here too. They're probably going to finish bottom of this group. Yay. Yeah, that checks out. All of that checks out. <laughs> Excellent. All right, so uh, I think I'm, I'm inclined to agree with Joe with United and Atalanta. Taylor, you feel that way about the two qualifiers from Group F? Yeah, I think so. Wonderful. Group G, Lille, Sevilla, Red Bull, Salzburg, and Wolfsburg in this one. Uh, a few Americans to look out for in this group as well, of course. Mm-hmm. Is this the weakest group, Taylor, in terms of pure power here? I mean, the, the top seed in here is Lille because they won league, uh, last season, of course, and we've probably got plenty to say about them. But this doesn't feel like it's grabbing too many headlines, this group. Is that fair? Yeah, you know, it is absolutely fair. And I think... When you get that, there's always then reason for enthusiasm because there's unknowns. It could go any number of ways. You could have a very balanced group. Maybe one team ends up dominating, and that's what they needed to then make a deeper run. But but yes, I do think this is the weakest group. I think uh, Sevilla, you know, perennial Europa League contenders, but that's not what we necessarily want when it comes to deep Champions League runs. Salzburg are are like good for the Austrian Bundesliga and very good for developing American players and coaches. But I would say also not very likely to go on a very deep run that leaves Lille and Wolfsburg and Lille would be the obvious contender here, but I have some concerns. They sold six players for a lot of money this summer. They only brought in three, one of whom was on loan. The thing that I I like completely missed was losing their manager, which confuses me to no end. Um, Manager Christophe Gaultier uh, guides them to the title last season, wins manager of the year for the third time. Two days after winning the league, he announces his resignation, saying, I simply have the deep belief that my time is up here. He is now managing Nice. So to lose a lot of talent, to lose their manager, it's not the same Lille team. It's still a very good team, but it's not that same unit that came through that won the league that will then kind of elevate to that next level, which basically in my mind leaves it as Wolfsburg and Sevilla sort of vying for those top two spots because Wolfsburg do have the strength in their depth in the way that they've been able to make the champions league last year, just with the consistency of results and having a strong defense, even if that defense features John Brooks, who has not been strong of late. Uh, but I think uh, Lacroix, their other center back is, is the is the one who will probably get another 80 million pound move. He'll be another center back with a lot of money on the move next summer, but is still there. And so I, I tip Wolfsburg to win this one uh, or maybe Sevilla, but either way, I have those two getting out. 
Uh, no love for Red Bull Salzburg. Brendan Aronson plus 10 necessarily there, Taylor. They have, they've lost Pat and Dacker and uh, Enoch Wepu as well, yeah. of course. So yeah. maybe they are another example of a team that's uh, less strong than last year. Yeah, I mean, I feel I feel sort of bad for Jesse Marsh that he didn't get to be in the Champions League with Salzburg this time, that he mm. had a, a much more challenging group. Uh, so, like, as I said, it is more open because of the, like, lack of just those big, big name Champions League teams. Uh, so they, they could definitely get some results. I do not have them making it out of, uh, out of the group. But if they do, they, yeah, it's probably because Brendan Aronson scored 15. <laughs> Indeed. Joe, um, Wolfsburg are the greatest team in Germany right now. The only team with three wins in three. Mark van Bommel's Wolfsburg. That one slipped me by. Excellent <laughs> stuff there. They're going to be a maybe a little combative little team, Joe. I'm I'm looking forward to watching this Wolfsburg team. I've been a bit surprised at how well they've started in the league. And again, still early. Don't want to read too much into that. But they're on nine points right now. They are top of the table with three wins in three. They have uh, a really strong center back pairing, like we've kind of already talked about with Lacroix and, and John Brooks. They complement each other really well. They have talent They have talent higher up the field. They have Veghorst, who we watched a lot at the Euros and had some pretty heated, no, not pretty heated debates. Come on, it's the Total Soccer Show. But we reasoned through <laughs> some some different reasons as to why Veghorst should or should not play for the Netherlands at the Euros. I like this team. I always enjoy watching them when I catch them in the league. I, I also have Wolfsburg and Sevilla advancing from this one. Lille could be a wild card, as could Salzburg. I think Lille's style, they're still playing that 4-4-2, even with the managerial change, and they do like to sit back and then attack on the break. They have a lot of attacking talent in Tim Weah when he's back and healthy, and Jonathan David, among some other folks. They have the ability to play spoiler in this group, which is a weird thing to say about the reigning Liga champions, but they... they they won last year in spite of some of those underlying numbers. So this could go any way. Leo could spoil, Salzburg could spoil, but I've got Sevilla and Wolfsburg coming out. Excellent stuff. Last but not least, gents, Group H of the Champions League this season. It is Chelsea, Juventus, Zenit St. Petersburg, and Malmo, which, Taylor, I think is the exact order things will shake out. Yep, that is well said, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say you could stop it at, at Juve, but yes, that is the exact order. And I have Chelsea as my favorite to repeat. Uh, obviously, they're the favorite to repeat since that's, they're the only ones that could do that. But I have them uh, winning as well, or the team that I think is most likely just because the obvious area of need was filled by Romelu Lukaku. And that's a good player to bring in. And it seems like they still have the attacking depth that though they will be missing Christian Pulisic for, I think, their next three games, they'll still be able to bring somebody in to play just as effectively, potentially even more so. So I think... Chelsea with Thomas Tuchel look like the strongest team I maybe in Europe. I, I would say you're one of the strongest teams at least. And then Juve with Antonio Conte. No, excuse me, not Antonio Conte back. That would be very wrong. Max Allegri back. Um, mm-hmm. Still still very strong, but uh, like themselves having a couple different question marks. And like, is this going to be as strong of a team as we've seen in the past? Is it Allegri comes in and everything is righted and everything is fine? Or is it, we need some time to figure some things out and get people into the places we need them to be. Where does Weston McKinney factor into his plans? All that leads to maybe more looming questions about UV. I think Chelsea pretty much a straightforward animal. So I have them uh, topping this group in fairly convincing fashion. Uh, Conte back at Juventus is for next year's Champions League preview. Ah, there it is. There it is. You've jumped the gun a little bit there. Um, Joe, uh, Chelsea, this group does kind of write itself a little bit 
certainly from from what we can see. Uh, it is hard to defend a title in this tournament, though. Not necessarily that affects group stage play, but are you are you seeing Chelsea as the strongest team maybe in this in this tournament? I don't know if I'd go strongest, but they are right up there with the top two in Group A, City and PSG, in my mind. I think Chelsea have every chance to repeat, as Taylor's talking about. They're incredibly strong, and he said it better than I can, so I'm just going to leave that one there. I have this group falling in a pretty similar way. Chelsea and Juve up top, I don't know where Malmo and Zenit will fall in terms of third or fourth. Juve are not strong enough, in my view, to challenge Chelsea for top spot. It could happen, but I don't see it as being particularly likely. And then, yeah, Malmo and Zenit on the bottom. Chelsea, they're real good, y'all. They are really, really, really good. They were even before they got Lukaku. Now they have him. They are scary, guys. They are scary indeed. Um, anything Is to it- say? Go, sorry, go, go ahead, Taylor. Is, like, all right, you all, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like this is the strangest like like start to a Champions League campaign I can think of because when we're talking about teams that have like a, a level of consistency from past seasons combined with bringing in necessary talent to elevate those performances, it's basically Chelsea and City and Atleti are the three teams that I think have that combination of factors because Inter, we've already talked about, lost manager and players, Juve, the, the Pirlo experiment doesn't work. They're sort of figuring things out. Bayern have a new manager, new players coming in. They're figuring things out. Madrid and Barcelona also have question marks. So in terms of the kind of regular, consistent challengers or people like teams that we expect to go pretty far, I feel like there are more question marks around some of those teams than I'm used to, whereas Chelsea, City, Atleti, a lot of, a lot of kind of the same, the same managers, the same like core talent group with some new additions. And then I add PSG to that just because, come on, it's PSG. Everybody they signed, they should be making a run. So I would say those four, Chelsea City, PSG, and Atleti, are my like most likely to go far teams. I'd just add... because they've made changes, Taylor? What do you mean? Are you, I mean, are you, not, are, you not, are you positing that because those other teams are more consistent and haven't made big changes, that makes them less favorable? I, well, I think it's 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 basically like I have more like I don't know that could be a problem about Inter, Juve, Bayern, Madrid, and Barca than I've ever had before about those okay. five all at once. <laughs> like maybe Inter more more commonly, but I just think it's like there are, there are reasons why like I could see Bayern totally winning their group, and then there's there's reasons why I could see Bayern still trying to kind of figure out Nagelsmann's system and the peculiarities of his pressing versus when they're going to sit and how they want to attack, and they're trying to figure that out. Madrid, Barcelona, figuring things out and who fits where the best and like what is Antonio uh not Antonio Conte excuse me uh Carlo Ancelotti there's too many Italian managers these days there's a lot uh Carlo Ancelotti like how is he getting everybody on board I just think there's more potential opportunities than there have been I'd add I'd add Bayern I know you just said you you disagree with that but I'm I'm on team Bayern could win this whole thing in Liverpool as well to that list Taylor oh Liverpool there we go thank you Joe City and PSG City PSG Atletico Madrid Liverpool I'm scrolling through the list now so I don't forget any of them uh Bayern Munich and then uh yeah, yeah that's it Chelsea there we go boom there's the last one that was good that was good audio right there excellent stuff um I usually have a good idea of who I favour to win the tournament at this stage, but as this conversation has unfolded, I realise I have no idea at all. I have no idea at all. Uh, With the bookmakers, it's PSG favourites at the moment. I don't necessarily see that as panning out. Uh, And then it's Man City, Chelsea, Bayern. My my gut is to say Man City, because I think, you know, they have the strongest all-round squad and Pep Guardiola, etc. and so on. 
But I've no idea. I don't know where I'm going with that sentence. Anyone else have an idea? A good idea? If you had to, put, if you had to pick a team, Taylor? I. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Taylor. I'm going Chelsea Atleti in the final. Oh, Joe. Ryan, I'm just so happy that now you know how I feel every time you ask me to make a prediction. <laughs> I feel I just feel like you know we're really feeling the same thing right now because I don't know I don't know either. Chelsea to me do feel like the best bet to go and win it, and, and the fact that that would be a repeated title win would be incredible, um, and, and would be a huge feather in Thomas Tuchel's cap. It's a bigger feather than the ones already up there from last year. I do have Chelsea as my my favorite coming out of this tournament, but man, I I don't know. I never know, guys. I never know. All Nor right. should you, and I think, and I think that for what it's worth, like that is the thing I enjoy. I uh, Ryan, honestly, Ryan, I like that you have like less certainty about who's going to win because I think so often when we're like, it's definitely going to be this team for this and this and this and this, and then when that doesn't happen, a lot of times people don't really own that. Skip Bayless doesn't really go back and talk about all of the many loud predictions that he got wrong. Whereas I think talking about a bunch of teams, you get that familiarity, and it becomes like, well, they could be good, but they could be bad. They could be good, and they could be bad. And it opens things up, but makes them confusing simultaneously, and I guess that's knowledge. That's how it works. Yeah, it is. I feel foolish for not picking a winner, Taylor, but I also feel foolish when inevitably my pick doesn't win. So it's lose-lose. <laughs> Just pick Wimbledon. <laughs> yeah. Just pick Wimbledon, right? <laughs> Sheriff are going to be my team for this season. There we go. There we go. There we go. We are back in the Sheriffs all the way. If they get a point, I'm going to be thrilled. I want them to get a point, even if maybe half of the country doesn't. So where did they get a point? Did they get a point against Real Madrid? Because Real Madrid could do one of those things where they go like 3-0 up and then draw 3-3. That's what I think might happen. I I could see that. I could see one of those Madrid on the road in the Champions League when it feels like it should be a foregone conclusion and it's nil-nil and some calls go against them at halftime. Or it's like nil-nil halftime with some calls going against them and there's frustration and it finishes nil-nil or finishes maybe 1-1. Although I think historically that finishes end up, like it ends up finishing 1 or 2 nil to Madrid. But I, I hope Sheriff pick up some points and it would be awesome if they picked him up against uh, a bigger team because that is part of the reason why we love the Champions League. Benzema in on goal at Sheriff Stadium, locks eyes with Dr. Doom behind the goal and, uh, and whiffs it wide. That's hey, at least he's wearing a mask. That's fine. <laughs> and that just about concludes our Champions League preview for 21-22. That's the years we're in. Thank you very much, Taylor Rockwell, for your contribs today. Right back at you, my friend. And Joseph, thank you so much, sir. You got it, Ryan. Listener, we love you. Enjoy the Champions League. 